Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Before we get started with our show, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Changing Our World. If you're involved with fundraising for a Catholic organization and you're looking to make a significant impact, Changing Our World can help. Their expert team provides custom philanthropic consulting services to help Catholic organizations create a lasting impression. Whether you're starting a new fundraising campaign or you're looking to improve an existing one, Changing Our World can offer the guidance and support you need to achieve your philanthropic goals. Just visit changingourworld.com today to learn more and check out the link in our show notes for easy access. Now, let's get to work. Well, welcome to Advancing Our Church. Brian Crimmins, welcome back to the podcast. So glad to have you back today. Yeah, Jim, thanks. Thanks thanks for having me back and looking forward to the conversation. So Brian is the Chief Executive Officer at Changing Our World, the Global Managing Partner of 100, and of course, the author of the very popular book, The Generosity Crisis. And we're going to talk about all of that today. Uh, Brian, lately with some of my guests, I've been starting out with kind of a fun way to, to, for our audience to get to know them. Uh, what is one fun fact that is not commonly known about you? Oh, man. One, one, although I think as I've gone around, I've said it more and more, so maybe it's not a total secret anymore. But I, th- I think a fun fact is that I'm the youngest of nine children, which always startles some people and leads to some really interesting conversations. <laughs> but it's a fact that I'm proud of. It's you know made me who I am. And I think about the, the four kids I have now. And I always joke with my mom that I would have to have five more, more than I have to have what my mom and dad had. And so just a huge kudos to that generation for raising the size of families they did. But that's a, a little bit of a fun fact being the youngest of nine is, you know, I've got the battle scars to prove it. I'll bet you do. That's tremendous. And probably some sympathy for your youngest being the youngest, <laughs> even of four, right? Exactly. That's, that's tremendous. Yeah. Good, good, big Catholic family. That's there awesome. You go. Well, Brian, we're going to talk a little bit about, obviously, the, the numbers for Giving USA. Uh, that's been hitting the headlines. I know you've been out discussing it in combination with talking about the uh, your, your very popular book. And we're going to talk about all that today. So, uh, But let's start our conversation with what the numbers are telling us about the nonprofit sector in general. And then I want to focus in on what it means for those entities that support the mission of the church, like parishes, dioceses, schools, Catholic nonprofits. And then we're going to finish up our conversation with some recommendations. Mm-hmm. So the big headline in 2022 is that giving to nonprofits experienced a significant decline with individual donors being most affected. So no surprise that individuals have been most impacted by the events of the economy in the past year. And so the total estimated giving dropped to $499 billion, which was a decrease of 3.4% in current dollars, and then 10.5% adjusting for inflation compared to the revised dollars of $516 billion. Um, The fundraising effectiveness report also found that the number of donors declined by 10% in 2022, with declines in numbers of donors at every level. So, Brian, I see inflation as playing a big role in 2022, contributing to what you've been discussing in your book as far as a diminishing number of donors. So what is your take on these numbers just from the macro perspective? Yeah, great, great question and great starting question for the whole conversation. I think the, you know, the numbers are, in, in some regard, they're a little staggering. The drops that we've had, especially when you look at them from an inflation-adjusted perspective, as you said, the 10.5% drop overall was the largest single drop, I think, from in recorded history. And that's, for me, having been, as Jim, you and I, I'll, 
I'll, I'll put us in the same camp, having been in this in job and industry a long time. Sure, yeah. You know, the 2008, 2009 timeframe was a rough one with the financial <clears throat> crisis and the financial meltdown. And to think even last year's drop in giving was worse than that, I think puts it, for those who've lived through that time period, that was a scary time in, in giving. And, and so I think to answer your question, I mean, absolutely inflation is playing a role. The um, stock market, I think, is playing a role. I think psychology, people are just un, not certain about what tomorrow, the next month, the next year will bring. So I think there's a hesitation in the marketplace. There's no doubt about that. I, I also think um, it's a bit of a perfect storm right now. But I think if you look back at the, which is, by the way, we're, we're very uh, lucky in this country to have the Giving USA report. We're the only country that has now, I think, a 40 plus year longitudinal data analysis of generosity and to understand the trends. And so we're able to learn a lot. And I think the uh, one trend that is also ties back to 0809 is the percentage of households that are giving. And that number continues to drop. And it was, you know, in the mid 60s, 60% of households that were giving about 15, 20 years ago. And last time they recorded it, um, it was 49.6, I believe. And so that the, that's the number, Jim, that I, Nathan and I have been tracking for a while. That's given us a lot of concern that people are continuing to not be active as it relates to philanthropy. And then when you compound that with inflation and all the data point, the stuff that you talked about, I think you have your uh, 2022 that Unfortunately, Nathan and I were worried was coming when we started writing the book two years ago, hence why we wrote the book. Um, but these are really startling numbers. One more thing I'll add to it is that you mentioned individual giving and that one also, you know, suffering a lot. And there was a 13.4% decli decline in individual giving, which judging by the math that Nathan and I have done, it's somewhere around, it could, it potentially means somewhere around 205 million less gifts. Wow. Giving, if you use the average gift number and it's a little slightly above 49 billion dollars was not there from individuals that was there the year the, the year before so yeah it's a it's a little bit of a wake-up call and i you know it's a it's people have asked me this a lot what, what is it what what's the what there is no one answer i think it's a combination of factors but i think if you look back at the 15 20 year trend line we have, we've been under stress this, the market in terms of those that are participating and those that are supporting and Unfortunately, the roost came home to lay, you know, last year. And I, um, so it's a wake up call. But I think like anything else, and you and I were just chatting, I mean, our industry, if we're good at a lot of things. And one of them is optimistic optimism and, and being able to figure out how to write the way we're on. And I, I'm absolutely convinced, even though that the numbers are not pretty, that we can figure out how to get this turned around. I uh, agree 100 percent. I I'm wondering, you know, I, I remember back in 08, 09 when when it declined, as you do. And I remember uh, being told by different folks that I worked with in the industry, um, if you're flat that year, then you're pretty much up because most people were down. Mm -hmm. yep. Is that the sentiment that you're hearing out there in the field? If you're flat, you're pretty much up from last year, given where we're at. Absolutely. If you're yeah. flat, there's there's real optimism, excitement about holding holding the line, if you will. Mm -hmm. There are there's some groups we're fortunate enough to work with who just finished up in June 30, their, their fiscal year, and they were up, you know, which is incredible. I mean, if you're able to say that. Um, and I just would always caution everybody to look at, you know, there's other, this is a big message that I've been out around the country drum beating. We as an industry have to also start looking at the other metrics, you know, like, like retention and new donors. And you and I were talking about that before we, we came live here, because that's, to me, the ability for us to track the health of our market. But, but yes, to answer your question, just simply, if you're flat or if you're up, uh, kudos, you're doing a phenomenal job because holding that line in, in a difficult economic environment like 0809 is a great testament to the team and the efforts that everybody must be putting in, in a situation like that. 
Absolutely. I, I concur. Um, and again, about your book, congratulations. Uh, I felt fortunate to have you and Nathan. I think we were, I was one of, maybe the first podcast I got to interview you uh, as you so. began this incredible journey, this, this book tour. Um, and I've been fortunate, I've been watching it online and on LinkedIn and some of your different presentations for the last six, seven months. And it's just, it's just tremendous. How, how do the numbers for Giving USA, you kind of touched on this a little bit, kind of play into what you're hearing in the field as you're talking to different professional fundraisers and heads of nonprofits around the country? Uh, so it's really interesting. I, if, like you said, when we started, so the book came out in November, middle of November of last year. I think you're right. I think Advancing Our Church was the first podcast Nathan and I ventured onto. Um, so thank you for that. And, and I would say, you know, November, December of last year, it was a little, <clears throat> little, you know, where I went was not a lot. We were a few spots, but come into the new year in January, we started with a speech up in Boston, Nathan and I, and I, and I've, I've remarked to him that since then, so six and a half months, it's been really interesting to me to to sense the audience, whether, you know, descending, they seem to be getting larger, but the it felt to me like in the first few months, Jim, it was almost like 75% of the presentation was convincing the audience that we had a problem. Um, and as we've moved out further and further, I find the audience is, is more like, okay, got that. Yep, understood that. Like, but let's talk about what we can do about this. Let's talk about some of the other, which is, A, I think phenomenal. But I think when you, to answer your question, and then when you get into June, when the Giving USA report came out, um, again, I, you know, two things I'll say. One is you don't, you, don't, you don't name a book called The Generosity. You don't write a book called The Generosity Crisis to Make Friends. And you don't, you know, and, and, and I'm not happy that we are where we are. So I just need to always say that for my own conscience. But Of course. You know, but there's been a little bit of the validation since the giving usa came out i think that as you met you and i were talking earlier about the recent linkedin live we did and kelly from aw amazon web services asked the question which is the first time we've been asked this which is what did you all know two years ago that that today is the numbers are what they are you know why did you start writing this book two years ago when the numbers of philanthropy were up and going up and people were celebrating and so you know i think I think as people have read the book, maybe even had some time to digest it, talk internally, and we've been we've been so fortunate that so many different book clubs have sprung up, and people have been teaching each other and learning the book, and which is great. I think that is part of what there's been. Okay, so there's something happening here, but let's start to get on with it. The the Giving USA report that came out was a little bit of the icing on the cake, the nail in the coffin, whatever analogy you want to use. That now people are like, got it. Um, I just spoke to a, a leader of a major higher ed institution this morning, and it's I think it's great that, it, in my opinion, it's such a short amount of time. We're now talking about what to do about it. We're now talking about how to solve this. We're now talking about how to help our industry get back to the industry that was so relational at one point in time. And that's what is you know so phenomenal about not-for-profits. And I love saying it. I mean, not-for-profits enable us to do some things we could never do on our own, Jim, but by partnering together and supporting a great organization like yours at St. John Vianney Center, you're able to do things you no one else, you couldn't do. It's the ultimate one plus one equaling three. And so if, if, it, if step one is admitting we have a problem, I think we're starting, we've done that or we're starting to do that. Now step two is let's work together. And I will say, I, I'm a big believer that our sector has the ability to collaborate on like a lot of, of sectors and, and to really collectively shared ideas, shared knowledge, shared strategies that might be working that I think are going to be really important to helping us turn this tide around and so that nobody will have to write a book called The Generosity Crisis for a very long time. And so 
Um, that's sort of how the giving you this information played into it. I wanted to also give you just the perspective of what we were hearing at the high level in the beginning of the year and now what we're hearing, because I think this is a good journey that we're on to, to get ourselves into a better place. Well, that's that's great to hear. You know, um, as we were talking before we, we hit the record button here, I, I we as fundraisers can be tremendously optimistic at times. And one of the things I, I really enjoyed about your conversation on LinkedIn with Nathan um, was just the, the, the realness, the, te- the tenor of the conversation was that, you know, these numbers aren't great and we need to face the reality of that. Are you sensing, um, I mean, as I said, our, our folks in, in this industry tr- have to be optimistic. It's part of our personality and DNA. Are you still sensing that same optimism um, that this is something we can, we can overcome? Or what are you hearing there as far as just the overall feeling in the field? I think the feeling is certainly one of optimism. And I think a lot has to do with what you said, that you don't get into this business if you're not uh, just by nature an optimistic person and somebody who likes to work and and collaborate with each other. Um, So I think there's there's that. I think there's there's concern about how to how to do this. You know, how do we figure out how to get back to a place of I mean, it's kind of scary to think that half now half of Americans now don't give to a not for profit. Like, so let's get for me, let's get ourselves back over that hurdle. Like, let's get ourselves back on the other side of 50 percent of the population working together. The thing that I'm hearing even most recent, Jim, and I would say by that, I mean, the last month or two. And I mentioned it on the LinkedIn thing, which is it's and it, it, it for me, it only popped in, which is a little staggering. <laughs> I think I was slow to pick this up, but only about a month or two ago, which is wow if you actually understand what we spend a lot of time in writing about the book and this notion of radical connection and this notion of um, compete, you know, that we're in an economy of constant noise and people trying to get our attention and all those things. If you believe even half of that, if you then come back to your day job as a head fundraiser, you realize this is not just a fundraising development, head of development like you, Jim, it's not just your problem. It's actually an organizational problem. If we're going to truly be competitive and by that, I mean, you know, for, for, for Mindshare and for WalletShare and for all the great people who do support our not-for-profits, we, the development team can't solve this alone. I mean, the, and I can go on and on about what I mean by that. But again, I was with an organization last week that spent a lot of time, the development team spent a lot of time saying to me how disconnected they felt to the overall direction of the organization and what the goals were. And then how do we then support the goals if we're just off doing what we want to do? And how do we take advantage of the data that we have that maybe the president's office has or communications has? And so what I'm really hearing, Jim, and it's been like very, it feels to me like it's been very loud just in the last six or eight weeks, is that if we're actually going to truly solve this, we have to think of it as an org. It's a, it's a change management. It's an organizational effort to truly get us back in the right direction, not just Oh, the development team down the hall has to solve this. And and a very, very practical thing I heard somebody say to me, which I thought was like, great, then do that. They said, you know, the Giving USA report, if your board isn't aware of that information and hasn't heard the headline, they should. Because yes, it's your it's our swim lane, Jim. It's the development, but but if they don't understand the environment, then then how can we all truly be working together in a very effective and efficient way for the for the mission of these great organizations? And so that to me, it feels like where the, the conversation is right now that, okay, we've got a little bit of an issue. We think we can get ourselves out of this if we're creative or smart of it, but we also can't do this alone. It's an organizational effort to get us going again. 
Hundred percent, and I, I think also, um, and even in, as we touched on before, it's almost even a societal issue that we have to address. You know, and and our organizations, we we react to what's happening in our organization. Our organizations are kind of reacting to what's happening in society. It, it's a very systemic issue, and so bringing it to awareness, to like you say, stating that we have a problem, I think is obviously a, a great first step. But let's let's kind of shift if, now a little bit. Yep. If there. I could double down on that point. Yeah, sure. Because it is. It abs- you, you hit on a really important thing that I, I should have. But it's so, yes, there's development team's role in all this. There's an organ, but you're right. Then there's a societal issue because we get asked a lot, did this happen to us or did we cause this? We being the not-for-profits as we've been out and about. And we, we actually write about this and we have a slides when we present about how the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is both. Uh, it, it, we, there's some things we've done, to, we as the not-for-profits, the consultants in this that have caused this transactional environment. But there's also the world that's happening to us that, you know, and, and I want to just quickly read you something, a quote that I actually Nathan sent me over the weekend. And I think it says it, it's just an interesting comment. And so it, it's from an article that says here, but the explosive growth in the internet usage that propelled Silicon Valley's largest companies for 20 years is now gone. So what they're saying is the, the growth, the engine that grew Silicon Valley. And the answer to the question is why? The answer is the simplest explanation for the stagnation of social media is that attention is not endless. And I think, you know, we make a big point of the competition for connection in our book. But to your point, Jim, we only have so much time in the day, right? And and I'm going to take it a step further. We as individuals only have the ability to connect, really connect with so many people or so many organizations. And so when, when a statement like that is now being said about like how the social media, the Silicon Valley, the tech industry, the social media industry is sort of stagnant. Well, of course it is because it ran to, it, it's like it's reached the end of the line in terms of our ability to consume information. Uh, and that, to your point about society, and that's not a for me as an individual, I'll just say that's not a great place to be when all of a sudden we don't even know where to go or where to start consuming all this. We've lost a little bit of the authentic relational aspect of everything, and I think, which I think we're going to get to. But I think the organizations and the people that realize this, acknowledge this, but then go about getting back to what we always knew it was supposed to be about, I think we'll be the ones who turn the tide around. Well, I think it's also, uh, you know, you and I are fathers, um, mine are young adults, yours are a little bit younger, but they're they're all being raised in a society where there's less and less contact and it's, and digital communication is more and more encouraged. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I've always been an advocate for new technologies. I've always been a student of it my whole life. But um, I do see that where there might be the tendency to send an email versus pick up the phone or send a text versus have a conversation. Uh, and so how is there that interaction or no, I, I think the answer is no. I, I see that just in my own kids and the way they interact with us, the way they interact with the world. Um, and that's going to be this next generation. How do we connect with them and have those authentic relationships? They are our future major donors, our future folks with wealth. How are they going to are, are we I, I, sometimes I feel like we've stunted them in some ways by giving them too much technology too soon without the mastery, without understanding how to m- integrate it into their life. You know, it's it's well said. And, and uh, you know, I think there's a, a really important aspect of what you just said, because the relational for for the development director, because I think what we're hitting on and what we're getting at is, and, you know, some people have said to me as we've been out and about what you're describing, Brian or Nathan, it sounds like it's good old fashioned major gift work at, at the end of the day. And, and the answer is correct. You know, it's, it's about truly, you know, we talk about radical connection a lot in the book and my favorite definition of, or 
how we've tried to define it, Jim, is at the heart of what you said, and which is, you know, you have radical connection when you get to a place of I know you and you know me. And I, I think there's only so far you can go towards that statement in the digital space. I know you and you truly it, versus the conversation, as you said, picking up the phone, those those interactions, I think, make all the difference in the world, you know, and I think those keeping that top of mind for you and somebody in your role and for anybody who's listening to this, you know, leading a parish or a school or whatever it might be, you know, challenging yourself to making sure you're getting out of that what can be a, a comfort thing, an easier path. I'll just send this text. I'll just do, you know, we have to sometimes be really intentional about building those really key relationships. Absolutely. Well, as you said, let's uh, maybe switch a little bit and focus in on um, on giving to religion. Uh, contributions to religion comprise 27% of all donations to charities in 2022. And we know that giving to religion uh, continues to de decrease as a percentage of the total giving each year. It has for many years. Uh, I was looking back at some of the facts that were in the report. It was at, uh, in the range of 36% back in 03 to 07, that five-year time period. So huge decline just in the last 20 years. Um, but again, inflation played a big role last year. Giving to religious organizations increased, this is interesting, it increased 5.2% in current dollars for 2021, but it decreased when you took in the fact of uh, inflation uh, down to, to a negative 2.6%. Also, um, as, as you and I might see on, on Sunday when we attend Mass, according to the Pew Research, 20% of survey respondents reported that they were attending services in person less than before the pandemic. Virtual attendance has become obviously more popular with 15% of the survey respondents reporting attending virtual services. So, you know, we see less people in, in Mass. We see um, that has been a challenge for our pastors uh, across the board. What are you seeing in the field with your faith-based clients and in the conversations that you're having around the country around this topic. Yeah, that's, that's great information you just shared with everybody, Jim. Um, so I think what we're seeing is a bit of what you talked about. So there's definitely faith-based uh, as a market, if you will, has definitely been under the biggest stress, I would say, of all the sectors. And, and I, look, I think in large part because it was the game in town for so long. I mean, so it dominated every, you saw that pie chart every year was, Religion was was the biggest. It took up almost huge, half. yeah, yeah. Half the so we counted on that, yeah. Correct, correct. And and I think just by the nature of the not for profit sector diversifying, and I think of things like social service organizations like Charity Water, which didn't exist 15 years ago, building wells in Africa. <clears throat> I mean, you saw this innovation come in some not for profits. So I think my point in saying that is, in some on some level, I think it's natural to expect what was once the only game in town sees some quote unquote competitors or, or, or opposition. But I also think if you then look at the folks that are uh, who who associate with religion every year declining, it, it, it puts those numbers in perspective, because I would argue the rate at which people are disassociating with religion and the amount of money still going to religion. I think it's actually for it's, it's actually an industry. That I think that I know that's kind of odd to say, but I actually think for for sort of the market share it should have, I think it's holding up still very, very well. And and um, so that's sort of a general statement. I think what I'm seeing in local markets, uh, and it's tremendous, candidly, is the success, I'm gonna go specific here to education, Catholic education and the success that it's having, it had during COVID and it's having thereafter. Um, I think I th I'm seeing, and I, I can't mention names, but we're seeing some incredibly successful fundraising efforts for Catholic education institutions right now. Um, and not in large, not only because some of them are in some of the 
tougher neighborhoods, some of the inner city. And, and as always, by the way, Jim, always getting tremendous results. I mean, talk about economic upward mobility. Well, show me somebody who does that better than the Catholic schools. And, and I, I have a hard time believing it, to be candid, just because of the success that I've seen and the data that I've seen. So I've seen through my window, which is what you've asked me, I feel like there's a bit of a resurgence in Catholic education giving. Um, now, will that overall move the needle next year when we look at giving USA? I don't know, but I'm seeing some, 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 and it's not just somebody might be listening to this going, oh, well, their alumni are doing it. No, I'm actually talking about some examples of people who didn't even attend the school, who see the value of the school, the Catholic school in a certain neighborhood or certain area and, and giving significantly to help them make sure that there's a sustainable plan there. And so, you know, and I'll bring it down to my own <clears throat> parish. Uh, I think back a few, a year or two or three years ago, Jim, you had my pastor, Father Tom Harold on. Um, interestingly enough, when I shared with him the book, the book Generosity Crisis seven months ago, uh, he read it and sent me a note and asked me, a prof I thought, a profound question, which was, do you think our parish has radical connection? And I, and Jim, you and I have talked about this over the years. I, I couldn't respond fast enough that, that it's one of the reasons why we came to the parish, because it does. And having, as you mentioned, the four young kids and wanting that, wanting a community at all levels, you know. And so I say that to say our giving is up. And, 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 you know, we did a campaign, you know, that, you know, the, the history. So one could argue, evolve, you know, but giving is up and, and the, the amount of people are who have transitioned over to online giving so we can have stable and they, you know, try. so, and then, I, so, and that's, I wanted to end with that to say that the faith-based coming full circle, faith-based clients we have, but the ones we even don't have faith-based uh, organizations, in my opinion, have such a head start running start, if you will on creating radical connection that we, I believe is the big game changer here, uh, just by the very nature of who they are. Doesn't mean all of them tap into it and, and, and utilize it or even reach it to its fullest extent. I'm not saying that, but I think those that do, you know, my, my own parish I can speak to, my own, my own school, high school that I can certainly speak to, when they have it and they are really authentic about it and lean into it, the fundraising results are there. And and so, yes, to bring it back up, the, the sector is a, the sector as a, as a whole, the faith base is certainly losing its market share. As I said, I would argue that, that those who can still are active in our faith and by, you know, I think we're to, to say that we're giving and giving solidly, and somebody should really unpack that side of the story because I actually think this, you could argue the story is stronger now than even when we were 35, 40, 38% of the market. Um, and I'm also hopeful that those institutions like parishes and are doing it well, like schools, hospitals, you know, seminaries, et cetera, I think their better days are still ahead. Couldn't agree more. I, I know in our own organization at St. John Vianney Center, um, we're a new development shop, uh, just finished our first fiscal year of fundraising. Um, and I'm proud to say that, you know, as, as a board, as, as an organization, we raised a little over 185,000 from 105 donors. And um, we probably started the year with just five donors. And we, we didn't do that with lots of mailing. We didn't do that with online giving. It was really all about relationship building is I, I i was talking with some of some of my colleagues because i was just curious to learn a little bit more about what acquisition mailing is because i really don't have a whole lot of experience with that it's just a whole different animal right. um people will spend fifty thousand dollars on mailing out to thirty thousand homes um they might get a hundred gifts back you know and and they and, and they think okay well i've acquired a hundred donors but are those a hundred donors that understand your mission people that you're going to have a relationship with i'm not i don't want to knock our folks who are who are doing that but it's it's a challenge if you're just in the direct mail piece if that's your whole development shop 
this this piece of I, I look at our hundred donors and they are all people that we've had conversations with a phone call, an email, a visit here to the center, whatever it is, even a Zoom call. Um, each one of them knows us by name so that when we send them the next solicitation or invite them to a stewardship event to get to know them better, there's a relationship there. So I feel very good about our hundred donors, even though it doesn't sound like a lot. And, and I've you know raised a lot more money than that in the past. But it's it's I feel good about the relationships that we've had because we're building a solid foundation. I think, you know, when I go back to the Diocese of Allentown years ago when I was there, we had twenty six thousand donors. It was it was impossible to have relationships with twenty six thousand donors. But we did break out and, and we did our best to try to carve out those relationships. And I just I, I go back to what you say in the book about having those radical connections, it, it, it goes back to Major Gifts 101, you know, and, and what we do and, and people give to people. Yeah. Um, I just think it's so critical. Yeah, and, and I think, Jim, as, as people have been in the industry a while, you and I, I mean, that as simple as that sounds, what you just said, I think in a, in a tough time and, a, you know, a lot of information coming out of the giving us all this data, you know, let, we got to make sure people who are in development positions at all levels within mm -hmm. development, don't lose sight of what you just said because it, it as crazy as it sounds it's it's that simple yeah. <laughs> you know it's about and, and if we can if you can block out the noise and a lot of the you know distractions and remember what you just said and, and building um you know what you're building there i have no doubt will be you're on the path towards sustainability you're on the path towards you know high 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 retention rates because you're building it off the backs of relationships and i think that is well you know somebody hopefully would whether it's you and I or, or somebody else in 10 or 15 years will probably be reporting on your organization's fundraising results. And I think hopefully they'll listen to this and, and see where it all started from, because I think it's on the great trajectory. That would be exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, moving to a more hopeful tone, uh, as we like to. But Brian, uh, what are you recommending to your clients? And I think you've pretty much touched on this maybe a little bit already, but especially to those who might be losing donors uh, yeah. specifically. Yeah, I, I want to I'll double down on a point I did bring up earlier, but I think it's worth it. And that is, um, and, and sometimes, again, given the DNA of some of the folks who work in development being positive, I think we need to make sure everybody, well, within reason, whoever that is, within the leadership of the organization, they understand what's happening to the market in, in terms of the giving and how you know challenging it is. Because I just think that, because I think if they know it, they can help us figure out how best to, to work together to get ourselves out of this. And so I think uh, my advice would be to make sure your board understands this, if you're, or, whom, or your finance counselor or whatever your governing uh, group ahead of you is. I think that's really, really important. I would actually even go so far as in, if, if you, and you know your donors well enough um, to talk to some of them about this, whether they know it or not, because inherently in that, I think you're showing concern, but you're also showing you want to continue to build the relationship with them and seek their advice on where to go, um, you know, where, where to go next and who else to maybe make sure we're, we're bringing into, into the fold. Because I certainly think if one thing is a given, that change is constant. And I think we're going to be in this for, for a while and, and meaning this, you know, uncertainty. So I think we just right. need to all band together and work together. And then finally, again, I know this sounds really simple, but I think the organizations that are the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. To the extent that we can, we're sharing, you know, information. We're because the good news that the program teams at, say, St. John Vianney Center are doing, and maybe not even thinking about, that's gold to you in the, on the development side and sharing. And I think I hear that a lot with my clients. Just there's sometimes a un unnecessary disconnects between some of the stuff that's really the mission-oriented work and the fundraising, and making sure, that, and vice versa, closing sure. the loop that the mission teams are or the program teams are hearing um, what donors are thinking, how well they're 
how grateful they are for the efforts that are being put in. So I think now's the time to overshare with leadership. I think now's the time to make sure we're collaborating internally uh, in terms of m- making sure that the whole ecosystem is working together as best as possible. And then finally, and this is sort of my, I, you know, I'll probably uh, be saying this for another 10 years or so. I think as an industry, what I would want to see is that um, people begin to track metrics that are healthy to the organization. By that, I mean, let's start talking about, and this is something Nathan and I talk about in front of big groups. Let's get to a place where people like you, Jim, who are running development shops, we talk as much about retention as we do as how much money we raised. And that, and I think th- if we do that, it starts to change the conversation about what some of the tactics and some of the strategies that we're doing. And I, you're in a wonderful position with all those new donors to, to really make sure you're doing the right things to keep them involved. And I'll say when the groups we've been in front of, we often ask, how many of you know the financial goal for your for your department? And I would say, Jim, 98% of the hands have gone up. When we ask how many know what your retention number is, we've ballparked that 2% of the audience raises their hands consistently. Wow. 2%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's some practical things about making sure leadership knows. I think there's some practical things about working together. But let's like actually look at some of the metrics that we that drive our industry. Because I think the ones, the almighty dollar, yes, it's important. But I think chasing that as long as we have has gotten us into a little bit of the place that we're in. And and, um, and I think if we start thinking as re- about retention as much as we think about how much an organization is raising, I, th- I think you'll be pleasantly surprised about the conversations it sparks, the strategies you start thinking about putting in place. And I, I'm convinced you'll be better for it. I agree. And, and it takes it out of, as you say, this this transactional nature and more into relationship building, because then our fundraising is really about the people that we're retaining. And second and a secondary a byproduct of that is obviously going to be how much money we're going to raise from those people. Correct. So clearly, um, I know our time is running short, but just want to wrap a couple of more questions in here. I, I, I know that. Um, your uh, your your colleague Nathan, your partner in crime, is is the expert in AI. But I know you. Uh, oh, and by the way, congratulations on episode one hundred of Forging Forward. That was exciting. I watched that last week. That was exciting, and and uh, what what a huge success. I remember when you and I first started talking about the podcast, and you know, look at you I guys. Followed now. your lead, Jim. I learned it's, from the best. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. But it, it was it's it's great to see how the show has evolved and how many people you all have uh, have impacted on that. But um, what it, I know you did a show on AI specifically, and you had Nathan talk a little bit about it. What are you hearing from your clients, and and what are some of the common use cases you're seeing for development shops using AI? Especially as we look at a lot of our folks are might be like myself, we're one person shops, and so we have only so much time. And what are you seeing out there in the field? Yeah, I mean, besides some of the misconceptions, which we don't have enough time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So I would, you know, it's interesting because I get to follow sort of Nathan around when this topic comes up. And besides him being one of the the smartest person in the space on this, in my opinion, I've had the opportunity like recently in Seattle, Uh, we were done talking and, and a woman came up to me because Nathan was preoccupied with a few other folks. And she said to me, I run a small museum. And I'm just curious, like, well, I, I assume that this isn't for me, right? And so I just simply said to her, look, I'm not going to get into the details of how this works. But I said, what I have found with AI, machine learning, whatever terminology you put on it, is that it helps you connect dots that we ordinarily would not have seen. And I gave her an example that I know from Nathan, which is another museum of probably similar size. When they put all the data in and they let the machine figure out the patterns, it really, you know, it, it sort of came back to the table the machine did with, you know, those that come on Tuesdays and Thursdays are the most likely to be donors. Those that come from within 15 miles, of, like, and it starts giving what I call Jim ahas in a way that, you know, it, would, it normally would take, 
if you even found out this information, it would probably take a week to maybe doing this level of analysis. Yeah. This information is coming regularly, you know, and it allows to me when, when you understand that and you understand that this stuff doesn't even cost that much anymore. That's the other thing. Everyone thinks it costs a lot. It doesn't. The learnings, the ahas, the connecting of dots that I've seen it through Nathan's team do. Well, actually, I get really excited by it because it allows I think of all the people I've met in my career who are phenomenal relationship people. And for a long time, we've been in the in the mud trying to figure out data. And it allows those people to get back to think, oh, if this is true, if the people that come on this day or they their first gift is five hundred dollars or more, the likelihood of them becoming a six figure is significant. It brings that quickly to tell the it brings the intelligence to people like you, Jim, who can then look at it and say, OK, if this is true. Why don't we do this or why don't we do that? And to me, that's getting the fundraisers back to where they need to be, back in that relational, the strategic nature of everything. That's why I'm excited by it. And I think I, too many not-for-profits still, I think, are dismissing it as only what the big guys will do. And I don't have enough data to get started or all those things. And I would really encourage you to look again because it, it's it's really powerful. It's really effective. And it allows people to get back to do what they do really, really well. And 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 it, not that this is why you should do it either. But if you realize that pretty much everything else in our life is running this way, it's, it's I mean, literally Amazon, whether we know it or not, honestly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it just allows us to be competitive and, 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 and with how the rest of the world is operating. Absolutely. I mean, the more information we can have about why somebody gives to us or yeah. what, what excites them, then that leads those authentic relationships. It doesn't replace them, but Great. it adds to them and it augments the, whatever intelligence you can have. Correct. so that you can have those those good and, and meaningful conversations. I, I agree. I, I think that's tremendous. So going back to giving USA, just to kind of wrap that that a bow around it, um, you know, we talked a little bit about this as, as a societal issue, as an organizational issue, as a fundraising issue. But do you think uh, that that we can turn this around? Are, are you still hopeful when you look at the numbers? I, I am. I, um, I am. I'm very hopeful. So let me make sure I say that first and clear. Um, sure. I don't yet know, you know, someone's asked me this recently as well. I don't yet know if we've hit the bottom in terms of the percentage of households or the drop, but, but I am, I, I am been, as I said earlier, I am been thrilled with what feels to me like, okay, we got it now. Let's get on to fixing it now. The quick, that the speed at which that has happened in the audiences that I've been fortunate enough to be in front of says something to me. It says something. And, and, and Jim, I, people have said, and it's, way too kind and way, way more credit than we ever deserve. But I've had people say to us, and so has Nathan, that the book has created a safe space to talk about this. What used to be rumblings in our industry is now people are talking about openly as keynote addresses at conferences and the follow-up. And, and, and the book provides a framework and a, and a, you know, and a language to, for groups to talk internally. And I think that coupled with everybody else in this space who does great, great work. Um, so, you know, I'm convinced that is what, why we will turn. Um, that's because of the talent in our industry, because of the care that people have, and and the people we get to work with. Like you, you know, you're David, your leader there. The, those are the reasons why I am optimistic that we will get out of this. So I think we first, as I said, we first had to acknowledge it. We had to look at the tough, look ourselves in the mirror a little bit. But the speed at which people are already talking about how to do this, and the success at which I've seen people incorporate data to your last question, beginning to adopt it. I, those are some of the reasons why I am convinced there we will be writing a book, hopefully, that is all about the turnaround and not about right. the continued downturn. Well, that'll be a great book indeed. Uh, Brian, any final comments before we uh, close? I think <clears throat> I think just for everybody 
who listens to Advancing Our Churches, thank you, because I know, Jim, you've had a very, very loyal following for a long time. And uh, I think, you know, this is the group, This is, these are the type of folks who are looking for the for right information, for the right content. But I just want to thank them for everything that they do. Um, as to, to turn this around, as I just answered your last question, it'll, it'll literally take a village. And I think this is an example of a village that really cares and is doing great work for their, for their organization. So that just thank you to the audience and for everybody that's been on the journey with you, Jim, in advancing our church. Absolutely. And, and thank you for uh, your support of the show and for continuing to share your, your knowledge and your wisdom with us. And it's always great to be with you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. Question. All right. Take care. God bless. Bye. Well, that's our show this week. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining me on today's show. I hope that you found this conversation valuable and that it will inspire you in some way to take action and advance the mission of our church. And if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you're going to stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And for more information about our show, please visit our fully restored website, at advancingourchurch.com. A big shout out to my wife, Kristen, for helping me to restore that website. I could not have done this without you, honey. I love you so much. Once again, many thanks to our sponsor, Changing Our World. You can find a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great month of August. We'll see you next week. Take care and God bless.